This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. And welcome back. This is Vernon Terrell, and we have uh, a great podcast episode today, and we're going to hear a story. Uh, a story from Sarah Roy, and uh, I've also got uh, with me Kyle Jenkins, and we're going to uh, learn and see how God interacted the life uh, of Sarah in a very significant way, and I think many of you will be able to relate to Sarah's story. So Sarah, uh, welcome to uh, the Walking Free uh, podcast. Thank you. And Kyle, always glad to have you as well. Hello there, Vernon. And I want to ask, let's just set this thing up, all right? Sarah, I want you to start and tell us a little bit about, a little backstory, and then I want you to dive in to your story and how really God's grace uh, impacted your life. All righty. Well, there's a lot there to unpack, but... (laughs) Um, I was born and was second generation, um, grew up in an extremely, um, conservative, religious, uh, legalistic church. Mm. Uh, so my parents were raised in it as well. And it was, there were rules for the rules and life was about looking right, sounding right and following all the rules. And if you did that, then you would have a relationship with God and you would be, you would have a good testimony in the community. And it was, it reminds me of when Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers and said they're whitewashed tombs and everything looked good on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. And that, to a T, describes what I grew up in. Um, There was, they believed in marking, which is sort of the Amish view of shunning. Mm. Um, So there were so many, over the years, so many families that I watched ripped apart by that practice. And my family was one of them. My older brother is is still in it. Um, And we really, he lives just a few miles away and we really never see each other, which is heartbreaking. But, um, is that because in, in that context, you and your family are quote marked? Um, yeah. And we left back in 2012. I was in my twenties. I had two small boys and knew that I didn't want them growing up in that environment. Um, with all of the damage that it that it caused to me and so many others around me, um, I just knew I had to get them out of it. So, and at the time, I was also going through a divorce, and it was messy. So we that's went, always hard. That is always tough. Absolutely, uh, and my family and I, my younger brother and my parents and I, all left around the same time. And 
there were different chapters of this church around the United States, one in Canada, one in Peru, and um, just several hundred, probably thousands of people, a part of it. And we went from having tons of relatives, hundreds of friends, people that you, that you know, that you do life with to nothing overnight Mm. when we left. And it was, it was a difficult time. Uh, Like I said, I went through, went through a divorce about that time. Uh, Then was, we were apart for about a year. Then I got, we got remarried and, um, We never really had a chance to begin with because the teaching that we had received and all that we knew was that, you know, I was told that women were created to serve men and to cook and clean and have babies and God had no other use for us. And this sounds like the documentary of the shiny, happy people. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) If you've seen that, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, I haven't seen it, but I do have friends who were a part of that. Um, yeah. But it was, it was very similar. Mm. And um, so my first husband and I, it was, they didn't believe in dating. Um, so mm-hmm. we never really even knew each other before we got married. And the concept was, you know, wives are just there to cook and clean and serve the men and that when your wife gets out of line you just you have to the men have to have control of their homes and of their wives and we didn't know what we were doing so um and didn't have didn't have help the the only help that (laughs) existed back then was you know you talk to the men who were higher ups in the organization and they would Council who them. had the same mindset that, well, you should be cooking, cleaning, and pretty much doing whatever the man says. Right. So that was the advice. When your marriage was breaking down, when you needed help, that was the advice. Um, men, you need to get control of your wives. Wives, you need to submit better. And mm-hmm. that was that was pretty much the extent of it. So we remarried, and that didn't last more than a year or so. And I realized we were still in the same, we both realized we were still in the same um, predicament as before, and it just wasn't working out. Um, And then as a result of living a life up until that point where it was all about the rules and all about looking right, but the real you doesn't get love when you're wearing that mask. Your mask gets the love, but the real you doesn't. Mm. And your life could look put together. And it was, I knew all the things to say. I played the piano for church. I was the girl that all the other parents said they wanted their daughters to be just like, and I did everything so-called right, but I was so miserable and so empty inside because when it's all about appearances, you go home and you have these real struggles that you're dealing with real life stuff that you can't ever be honest about. And you know that if you do, that'll be the end. They're not going to accept, accept you if you've got real struggles, 
other than, you know, oh, I didn't read my Bible for an hour today. I, I just read it for 15 minutes. Shame on me. You know, those were the kind of struggles that that you could admit to, mm-hmm. but it wasn't real life stuff. And so I just felt completely unloved, unaccepted. And you were not safe. No, no. And I wasn't, it wasn't okay to be real. You weren't valued as the person that you are. Not at all. You were an object. Valued for what you do, what you look like, what Mm -hmm. you sound like. And that's, that's where it ends. Um, So after a lifetime of that, I just, I felt so empty, so unloved, and I was done with the pretending. I was done playing church and playing the pretend game because I knew better. I knew me. I knew that this is, this is not real. I'm struggling over here, but I'm pretending like everything's okay. And it's getting worse. You know, my, my life was falling apart. My marriage was falling apart. And I was done. I was done with the whole thing and almost done with God because it was all one and the same in my mind. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what I had been trained to believe that you're, if you're a part of us, then you're a part of God. But if you walk away from us, you're walking away from God. And where was your ex-husband in this mind was his mindset of that same uh, controlling men have all the authority was that his mindset at the time um that's the way he had been trained but he is a gentle soul so mm. that didn't really work for either of us right. um, and i tend to not be quite such a gentle soul i tend to be a hurricane sometimes so <laughs> he, um, he's to this day, one of the sweetest people I've mm. ever known, but he wasn't the type to, you know, tell me to sit down, shut up and do what I'm told. So, <laughs> right, right. That didn't really work for us. But you felt all along in that environment that something wasn't right and, you started to take steps to get out of it. And it sounds like your whole family did, but right. were there still some underlying teachings in there that just kind of stayed with you and you couldn't oh, break free yes. from for a while? Still to this day, Vernon, mm-hmm. still to this day, um, I fight stuff in my mind that just ways that I was conditioned to think. And I, I probably always will because you know, when it's there from, from childhood on, you don't even realize that you're th- the way that you live, the way that you think is in error. You, d- you don't realize that it isn't normal to. Unless it's challenged that that becomes what it's the belief systems that we, we actually a belief system is simply a conclusion that we have drawn about an idea or something and they're formed, like you said, over time in our early childhood. And they become assumptions that if left unchallenged, they're, they're there and everything filters through those. And uh, I think 
that's really the journey often in our life is uncovering some of those old lies that we've believed are true and holding them up against God's grace and truth and saying, hmm, let's look at this one. Absolutely. And I'm in a season of life now where, you know, that's happening and it's so exciting because hmm. for years after, after leaving that church, I couldn't even crack the cover on my Bible. I couldn't read hmm. it. Every time I opened it, I heard the old voices and I could only interpret it and read it with that filter. And it was condemnation. Mm-hmm. It was all God's going to strike you down. You have to obey the rules. You have to do this. You have to not touch this, not go here. Don't be, don't have relationships with people outside of our group. Um, just a plethora of all, all manner of, of rules that from everything to the colors that you wore to who you could be friends with and what music you could listen to. and mm. So many are going through that. And I think your story, I think the story of the, the Shiny Happy People documentary, that whole, the whole Gothard movement back in the day. Um, and I was in that a little bit uh, as well uh, back in my early, early years. And it is damaging, and there's so much untangling. You know, we have a brand, if you will, uh, uh, that uh, at Grace Ministries, we it's life untangled, and it's taking all these tangled pieces, and and it's just untangling those knots and lies that we've come to believe. And I think so many will be able to relate to what you have been through and the the journey you're on untangling all of this mess. Yeah. And a mess it is. It's, and when it's so, one of my biggest struggles was when all of that is tied to the character of God. Mm. And it is so difficult to separate out. And there was a point in my life, a few years of time where I, after I left that church that I just gave up, I felt like, well, I'm condemned anyways, because I left. I, so I left God and. You left that, that perspective of God. You left that view of God because who wants to really be associated with that? Right. And that was, that wasn't a God that I could trust with Mm -hmm. my life with the hard things that I was going through. So I threw it all, threw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and just got rid of it all and said, if that's who God is, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And then went on my own pilgrimage looking for the love that I had never received. And that led to a lot of really stupid decisions, um, spending weekends in bars and, uh, picking up different men and just to try to salve that wound in my heart and all of the things that I searched for and that I chased after to fill and to salve that wound made it worse. And fast forward to January 26th, 
2017, I was pregnant, wasn't married to the guy, and my life was completely off the rails. And I had someone at the time that I went to and said, I'm pregnant. And this person said, it's okay. I can, we can take care of it. It's, it's going to be all right. You can't, obviously you can't keep it because I mean, your parents and your family, you, that's all you have left. And they would desert you too. And you would just be left with nobody. And fear is a monster. Mm -hmm. It makes you do all sorts of things that you would never do otherwise. And so I had an abortion and that was, that was the lowest point of my life and also a turning point for me. Because how was it, how was it? Yeah. How was it a turning point after that um, decision? And I think you said it so well that the enemy there's well-meaning people, but the enemy uses fear and fear of others and fear of basically excommunication from the family and other groups uh, that they, you know, if you're pregnant and, uh, and, and you're not married, they throw all this potential uh, fear, uh, potential condemnation and, and all of this at you. And it seems like, or you feel like you have no other choice. Right. And what, after that decision and uh, after you came through that, which was, I know, was just heart-wrenching, um, what began the turnaround in your thinking and your, in your heart? Well, I believe that God had never, he never left in all of those dark days. He was there and... Um, I couldn't see him for a long time because I had that solid belief that he didn't care and he didn't love me and I was of no use to him. And, but he had been planting seeds. Um, there was a life choices place that I had visited before I made the decision to get an abortion and they had just walked me through what it would look like. And there, they spoke with no judgment mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. The first people who said, you can choose to do this and God's still going to love you. And he's going to, he's already forgiven you. Here's what's going to happen. If you do, we can help you. Here's some resources, but we just, we want to share his word with you and pray with you. And it was not, God's going to strike you down. He's going right. to hit you with lightning. He's going to take your life. He's going to take the life of your child. You know, all of the things that I had been used to hearing. Um, it was no judgment. It was love. And, and that was a seed that was planted. And after the fact, it was probably a couple months after the abortion when I went to my parents and I, I told them about it because it, it had messed me up pretty severely and, and they were wondering what on earth was going on. And I fully expected that to be it. I fully mm-hmm. expected them to turn their backs and leave too. 
just like everyone else. And they didn't. They cried. And they were heartbroken for for what had happened and, and for me, for what I had been going through. And that was the last reaction I expected. And so through so many different people and different avenues, God just kept showing up, reminding me, I love you and I'm not leaving. And no matter what you do, you can't escape my love. Mm. It's always going to be there. And so that, that started, I I'd like to say that it was this huge um, explosive moment, but it, it wasn't, it hasn't been, it's still, you know, a process of, of growth. It's mm-hmm. a journey. And um, so that started a change for me. I, I started to have some hope. And then here almost two years ago, my dad was out at the house working. He said, I, I want you to look up a video on YouTube. It's a video, a message by a guy named John Lynch. Mm. It's a message called True Face, Two Roads. Look it up. <laughs> Good old John. Yeah, I did. And I was a basket case. I was just <laughs> a blubbering, bawling mess when I was watching that video. It was so life-changing for me and just resounded with my soul with like, yeah, that's what I've been looking for. I felt like a thirsty person who finally found water and just started looking for anything and everything I could get my hands on with his name attached to it. (laughs) Came across in in that process, came across um, Janet Newberry and the True Face organization, Andrew Farley and, um, Bill Thrall, Bruce McNichol, and mm. found the book The Cure and um, started reading more um, John Lynch's book On My Worst Day. And it's been it's been life-changing for me to the point where now, I mean, that girl that I was in my 20s, she's so far removed. And I'm so I'm so thankful for for God's love, for him being there, walking me through all of it. And he still is. He still is to this day. Um, I'm still going through tough things. And I know there's never a moment when I will be able to say that, okay, I've arrived. It's fixed now. <laughs> I'm fixed. Did that you day, have to? Did you have to come to a point with that, uh, on that lowest day and that, uh, and making that decision uh, on that uh, abortion, was there a point where you had to just face that? And some hate when I even use the phrase, but to forgive yourself on that, was that something that you had to work through? Uh, definitely. And it took, that took a couple years for me to be able to forgive myself. What would you say? I clung to God's forgiveness way before I was able to forgive myself. You know, I, I think that that is a, a good reality check for many. We can talk about, uh, we understand receiving uh, forgiveness and the forgiveness that is offered through Christ. But 
man, we, it's hard to let it go. You know, I had one person who really did not like when I talked about the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And this person really couldn't wrap their head around it. And I said, and I just told him, I said, look, uh, when people hurt you, what is our response? What, is, what should our response be? We want to forgive them. Yeah. Well, what do you do when you hurt you? You know, yeah, you need to let that go and forgive uh, yourself. And I think you're speaking so much truth. Uh, it's one thing to really understand God's forgiveness, but there's something, there's some transactions that we need to make some time and letting things go. Um, we put ourselves on this high standard that how could I of, and I should never of, and what was I think? And instead of forgiving ourselves like God forgave us. So uh, I do appreciate uh, you sharing that. Uh, it's so true. Absolutely. And for me, it all goes back to my identity and who he says I am versus who I feel like and think I am. And I've I held on to that with a death grip for years, mm. my opinion of myself. And sometimes it even seems like that's the humble thing to do but it isn't and it's so hard to be able to lay that down and say okay i see me i know me and i am i think that i'm the worst human that ever walked the earth but that's not what you're saying and as hard as it is i'm gonna choose to believe that what you're saying is right and if The times when I can't, when I can't get that, when I can't trust that, believe it, and grab onto it, then that's when things start to go downhill, and that's when I can't, I can't possibly forgive myself for those kinds of things. And you know, like I said, I I have, I've I've made a lot of mistakes, I've done a lot of stupid things. But understanding that my identity is safe. You know, there's a verse that says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Mm. There's no safer place and there is no more secure place. And that is not up to me. My behavior can't affect that, can't change that, can't make that not true. Mm, That's so true. It's crazy sometimes, but it doesn't affect my identity and who he says I am. And you rightly said that uh, we think it's so humble to call ourselves the dirty worm, the, oh, I'm just so awful, and woe is me. We think that's a step of humility. Actually, it is the exact opposite. We're saying that we know more than God, and we, we have a better and fuller knowledge than the God who made us. Uh, it's like we know more than God. Like, oh, well, God doesn't see this. If he really saw who I was, he'd be, he'd be sick to his stomach. No, God sees you exactly as the way you are in the real reality. And the issue is we don't see ourselves. And that is the subtle, another subtle lie of the enemy to give us this, we think we're being humble and it's a false humility 
we should be standing up and shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making me the righteousness of Christ. And it's all because of the cross, not because of my behavior. It's all because of Jesus. Thank you. And that is the ultimate humility saying, yeah, God did it. I didn't. But the fact is, it's done. And I am righteous and holy and forgiven and free and victorious. That's who I am. So uh, one thing uh, as we're coming, just to uh, wrap up here in a minute or two, um, what would you say, Sarah, is, and you made a reference to it, but uh, in terms of the turning point, and something that was really, you didn't even want to crack open your Bible for so long. Do you think that this, that our view of God and the, our concept of God, uh, is that uh, a really good starting point? Like if someone is struggling uh, with some of these things, is that a good place to start? Absolutely. And it was for me. Um, just when you don't know who God is and when you don't know his character, then you're going to be afraid. You're not going to be able to trust him. I couldn't for so long. I couldn't trust him because I didn't know him. But when you, when you get to know him and you find out that God is love, he's not the expression of love. He's not what love, you know, he's not, what love looks like or the, no, he's love itself. He's love itself. And when you get to know who he is, it changes everything. Not who the world says he is, not who religion says he is, but you get to know for yourself. And there've been so many times when I've asked him to show me who, who are you? Show me who you are. So I can understand who I am. Well, that's what that's what John wrote. I mentioned it in an earlier podcast that one of my favorite verses, First John four sixteen, which says, "We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We know it and we believe it for us." the love that God has for us, for God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And by this, love is perfected uh, with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. And people think, oh, the day of judgment. You know, for the believer, the day of judgment is a day of celebration because at at the day of judgment, All of our sins have already been taken care of. There is no more. It's already been done. There's only the good because Christ took all of our judgment at the cross. There is no more judgment, 1 John 3, 17 and 18. There is no more condemnation, Romans chapter 8, for those who are in Christ. It's a day of celebration uh, for the believer. And many are living under the condemnation, uh, under this false condemnation and false judgment that the enemy is dishing out. And unfortunately, uh, some in the church are dishing out uh, that is really straight from the enemy. 
it's law-based. It's this idea that if we do enough good things, maybe God will like us a little bit more. And it's that false concept of God, that God uh, is demanding that we do something so he'll be happy. You know what? God's happy with us because of Christ. He's pleased with us because of Christ. And even when we screw up, and we will, he covered that and took it, took it all away at the cross. So we can rest, and we can enjoy, and we can live uh, because of Jesus. Let me ask uh, Kyle any uh, last uh, words, and then Sarah, any last words before we close up the podcast? Any thoughts the Lord has just brought to your mind? Um, I, you know, it, I've been just weeping here listening to Sarah's story. One of the one of the thoughts the Lord was bringing was with the whole identity and you know that that false humility. It's like, well, I need to see myself as this awful person. Um, it was just bringing to mind of how it's like that's totally the self righteous living out of flesh gospel. You know, this empty. Because uh, it's like, well, if I see myself bad, then I have to do self-improvement. Mm. I must get better. Let me change my behavior and my own strength. Let me get all my ducks in a row, you know, trying to fix it on our own in the flesh to try to become something that we're not right with God. And yeah. When in truth, we are the very righteousness of Christ because of the cross. Yeah, and what a lie, and, and what a, as old Bill Gillum would say, what a flesh trip. Uh, you talk about the new, the new exciting things on these different drugs and uh, different highs. And well, that's just another high for many people. It's a flesh trip. Uh, some people really get off on that stuff. Sarah, any final thoughts for um, just to close, close out our time? I would just say that, you know, so many in the legalistic religious culture that I came from have this idea that grace is there to get you saved. But after that, you know, you got to work. It's, it's up to you. You got to, you got to work hard. You got to do everything right. And, but it reminds me of a verse in the Bible that says he who started the work is faithful to complete it. Mm. He doesn't save us. And then, set us adrift and leave us. He completes it. We don't. Mm. Mm. That reminds me of that old saying. Remember it would, we, uh, and it really preached well. It was such a lie, but, um, but it's also secular. Uh, it would, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. Uh, and I remember <laughs> in my early, early days, this is before I understood grace. Um, and uh, I remember I preached something to a youth group and it was real exciting. I said, good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is your better and your better is your best. Chanting, chanting, good, better, best. Never let it rest. And then when God really started unveiling his grace when I was in the hospital and I couldn't do anything good, I couldn't do nothing. Uh, I was just flat on my back. But it came to me, it said, good, better, best. You better let it rest because you can't serve the Lord in the power of the flesh. Mm. Um, so it's like, that's the mindset of our Western culture. Get out there and pull yourself up. And 
I think we need to learn what Jesus said. Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and you'll find rest for your souls. So, Sarah, thank you for pointing the way for others to experience rest. And uh, Kyle, thanks as well. I hope that uh, for those who are listening, uh, if the Lord is prompting you and just speaking to your heart uh, to take a step, whatever that might be, a step toward rest, entering into his rest, that you will just stop talking about it and start walking in the freedom where Christ has set you free. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.